Matthew chapter 8. If you've uh, recalled a movie oh, about 15 years ago, there's a movie that came out called The Green Mile uh, with Tom Hanks and others. There was a character in there, John Coffey, you remember him? And he had a sort of supernatural uh, characteristic where he could heal people's diseases. You remember him? Uh, he would, uh, among other things, he was falsely accused um, in the beginning of the story, but he had this ability to take people's uh, ailments or sicknesses. And when he would do that, it was sort of a, a bizarre scene. He would come up to the individual and sort of hold them and and, and flies would come out of the individual and into his mouth and he would kind of shake and it would really, uh, it, would, it would cause him uh, pain and sort of, um, I don't know, def- it would sort of uh, deplete some of his strength uh, and you could really tell he was taking on uh, an illness and an ailment of another as he, as, as he did this. Uh, but the, the section we're diving into in Matthew 8 and Matthew 9, sort of one whole section in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, is really, we see Christ in His glory healing people. And His uh, healing will be far different than that of John Coffey in the film Green Mile. He incurs no pain. He incurs no defilement. He incurs no depletion of His glory and of His strength as He heals these, these people. And so we will just see this sort of running uh, uh, instant after instant of Christ exercising His glory as He is God, fully God, and fully man, beginning here in a profound section of Matthew 8, verses 1-4, through 4, which we'll study this evening. So follow along as I read. I'll read verse 1-4 through 4 of Matthew chapter 8. The Word of God says, When Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed Him. And a leper came to Him, and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing. Be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go, show yourself to the priest and present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Well, a a little bit of context here where we are in this new section uh, of Matthew's inerrant biographical account of the person and work of Christ. Of course, we just finished the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached. And in that sermon, Christ shook up the long-held beliefs and traditions of many in His day and perhaps many in ours, It was a sermon where Christ holds himself uh, as really the exclusive authority over matters of life, death, um, entrance into heaven, and so on. He said, in effect, in the sermon that God's moral standards are far higher than you think. Perfection, in fact. And not one person ever, in their own strength, has come close to living up to them. We've all failed. And so, coming to heaven, getting to heaven, is not going to be by presenting and Uh, sort of showcasing our moral accomplishments before God, but quite the contrary, on admitting and mourning our moral violations before God. Christ, in effect, said in the sermon, you recall, blessed are those um, who, blessed meaning those are in the right before God, God, they're in God's favor, 
who know that they have flagrantly violated God's standard constantly, have fallen short of God's standard, and they do not boast about anything morally that they have to bring before God, but on the other hand, they bemoan their sinfulness. God says that those are the blessed ones. Those are the ones that are on the right path, the one God accepts, who mourn their sin and appeal to God's mercy for forgiveness. Christ subsequently sets himself up as the judge in that sermon of all humanity. He alone is God. And so he really holds himself up as the authority. And as we conclude it, some who are listening, as well as ourselves, we might ask, okay, this Jesus spoke of himself as quite the authority in word. But I'm still unsure about him. On what basis might I understand him to be God and judge? Prove it, Jesus. Christ claimed to be the king of heaven, really, in that sermon, in effect. But how is one to know that he actually is that and he actually has the power to move history towards heaven and bring about the world changes and the physical, spiritual changes which make heaven heaven? How do we know he can do that? Answer, this, these factual events which happened here in Matthew 8 through 9. The several miracles demonstrate that. They demonstrate a few critical things, by the way. And sort of as an introduction to this section, I want to give us oh, seven or so uh, points of introduction that we need to keep in mind that this section demonstrates that the miracles show us why these miracles. A couple things. First, they show simply that Christ is God, the only God. That he has the power over creation, death, disease, the physical realm, demons, the spiritual realm, the weather we'll see. He's God. Second, that he's the king of heaven, this section demonstrates. That he has the power to undo all the suffering of this world from which we need redemption, the wrong in the world to, to make things perfect once again, to truly bring about heaven where there is no death and no sin, no sickness, no evil. The miracles of Christ demonstrate that. Third, they show us a glimpse of what heaven will be. A glimpse of what heaven will be. Christ, as he does these miracles, he kind of quickly pulls back the curtain As if to say, here, here's a peek at the change that I'm going to bring about for all who believe in me. That I will make things so perfect. Pristine in every sense of the word. Disease will be a long shadow of the past. Sin as well. Fourth, the miracles just demonstrate his overall authority. His authority. The Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew demonstrate his authority in word. Matthews 8 through 9 demonstrate his authority in his works, by his works. Fifth, his compassion. This section, these miracles show his compassion. Why these miracles? Answer, because he is a compassionate God. All who will come to him in faith, he will forgive. In profound cases, especially like this leper, show amazing compassion. Which, which, by the way, would be offensive to self-righteous first century religious people. Maybe 21st century religious people as well. That he takes the wretched, the throwaways who come to him. 
most of these in these people in Matthew 8 through 9 are outcasts. We have a leper. We have a Roman soldier. That would be very offensive to the Jewish audience. Women. Demon-possessed. Tax collectors. The sick, the dying. He shows compassion to them all. Fifth. Sixth. These miracles are intended to drive us to faith in Christ. All of us. The true biblical miracles which Christ does, they're never intended just to be sort of a dazzling spiritual firework show, sort of an empty charismatic crusade, if you will. They're never intended to be that, to kind of keep the shallow, fickle crowds mesmerized. Now, they serve a much higher purpose than that. That we would believe in Him and embrace His Word. That we would see, okay, He's God. I believe His Word. We would repent, turn from sin, and bow the knee to Christ. Miracles are nudges for our repentance in that sense. By the time we get to the end of chapter 9, the only rational decision is that we would come all the way to Christ and follow Him. Seventh, really the nature of saving faith we see here in chapters 8 through 9. This, is, this section answers, what does it mean to put faith in Christ, to believe in Jesus, to become a Christian? The responses that many of these individuals have, and that will certainly be the case for the leper tonight. Christ performed thousands upon thousands of miracles. And there are only nine in these two chapters. Because as John chapter 21, 25 says, who is an eyewitness to it all, he said, look, I've seen more miracles than all the books in the world can hold. But I've written a couple in here that you'd bow the knee to his majesty and be saved and have eternal life, he says. And so it, Took a hand, took four gospels to sort of record a handful. Matthew's eight and nine, only nine of them. Point being, Christ come, He comes with a mere word, with a mere touch, instantaneously reverses the devastating effects of sin's curse. Why doesn't He heal everyone in all times and places? We'll study a little bit about that in coming passages. But for now, the main idea of tonight's sermon, we'll put it up here. <coughs> This. It's in your bulletin. Because of his authority and compassion, Christ can and will cleanse and heal the damage we all incur from our sin. Because of his authority and compassion, Christ has the ability and he will. You might not be healed from your physical ailments in this life, but you certainly will be if you put faith in him upon his return in heaven. All the damage we incur from sin. So our outline for this evening, we'll see this. Six truths to experience healing from sin's damage. Six truths to sort of lead us to that. And again, the healing begins when you put faith in Christ. Most importantly, the physical healing. The completion of which, I should say most importantly, the spiritual healing. And the physical healing, <clears throat> all of us will incur when we are resurrected into heaven. So let's get right into it. We have a lot to cover in these four verses. Number one is this. Because of sin, foundationally here, because of sin, we're all damaged and, and defiled. Because of sin, we are all damaged and defiled. Look at verse one with me. Jesus, when he came down from the mountain after preaching the Sermon on the Mountain, in other words, large crowds followed him and a leper 
Stop right there. A leper. We'll fo- focus just on this phrase here. This, this section again opens us up and reminds us of the damage of sin physically and spiritually. Leprosy, the term comes from a word in the Greek that means scaly. It's used generally of many different types of skin diseases common to the first century Mideast. Modern day leprosy, as otherwise known as Hansen's disease, would have been included in this general category. And it is a terrible disease, if you're familiar with it. Caused by various bacteria transmitted through human contact. Still exists in large numbers in, for example, various African nations and in India. But it typically begins, just a little bit about this. What, what would the first century individual experience pain in certain part of the body numbness would set in Uh, the skin would lose its color and become scaly Uh, poor blood circulation in certain areas would result in this soreness especially around the face the face would bunch up and swell up Uh, an individual's face starts to look like that of a lion it gives off the 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 leprosy gives off a, a terrible odor Uh, It affects one's voice. It causes one's voice to be sort of hoarse. And because of the numbness, the skin, even the fingers, parts of the body, really begin to decay and disintegrate. One doctor reports that individuals in our day with leprosy, they've been observed reaching into a fire to to grab like a piece of food they dropped, holding shovels with a, a, a protruding nail and they didn't even know it. Uh, walking on broken glass, washing themselves in their face, their face with scalding hot water and blinding themselves because they lose the feeling. It's this terrible numbness. Basically, these with leprosy, they, they, they rub and gash and grind and injure their bodies and, and they disintegrate. Part, their bodies just starts to fall off because of this inability to feel pain debilitating disease. And so, understandably, they were greatly feared in Bible times. Because of the dangers of leprosy then, there are pages upon pages in the Old Testament that you may have read, prescriptions for those with leprosy, how to cleanse it, how to avoid it, uh, how that basically those with leprosy had to be isolated. Sadly, because of the danger of, of spreading the lack of technology and treating it. A few examples of Old Testament scriptures. And before I read these, let's, let's remind ourselves that we are 35 centuries uh, and a few continents away from the time. And so it would be wise for us Westerners to avoid scoffing at some of these directions so that we would not commit what C.S. Lewis rightly called chronological snobbery. Leviticus 13, then, we'll put it up here. Just a few, just to give us an idea when a man has on the skin of his body a swelling or a scab or bright spot and it becomes an affection of leprosy on the skin in his body, he shall be brought to Aaron, who is the high priest, or to one of his sons, the priest. The priest shall look at the mark on the skin of his body and if the hair and the infection has turned white and the infection appears to be deeper than the skin, it's an infection of leprosy, he shall pronounce him unclean. Verse 45, as for the leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn. The hair of his head shall be uncovered, shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean. 
He shall live alone. His dwelling place will be outside the camp. Terrible. Debilitating. Shaming. Numbers 5 also says this. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Command the sons of Israel that they send away from the camp every leper who's unclean because of a, of a dead person as well. That they touched a dead person, in other words. You shall send away both male and female. You shall send them outside the camp so that they'll not defile their camp where I dwell in their midst. Devastating. You might recall in Second Chronicles 26, for example, even the king of Israel, King Uzziah, when he says, look, I don't need priests to minister the word of God to me. I can go into the temple and do what I want. And they say, no, do not, King Uzziah. And God strikes him with leprosy. And it says, all the days of his life, he lived in his own house in isolation and then died. Sad reality is that these individuals were throwaways of society, in effect. Outcasts. A special class of defile. There was great shame. These were people from whom others would run. So understandably, these diseases were feared, fled from in the ancient world. And so this example and the many others we're going to see in Matthew, the world into which Christ came was replete with the damage of sin, with disease. This is clear today, but in the first century, ancient East, the time before vaccinations, 20 centuries earlier, prior to advancements of medical technology, the damage was a bit more visible than the 21st century West. You, you want to see a picture of this? Go to, go to some of these places, these sort of third world countries. There's no question about things like vaccinations. Man, they'll line up for those for miles. It is devastating. The effects of sin, paralysis, muscular dystrophy, polio, blindness for all kinds of reasons, infections, injuries, gangrene, boils, dysentery, complications with hearing, speech. On and on and on it goes. Some are born with these. Many of these things which God has allowed to be restrained through modern medicine in our day. But there are all kinds of issues. Some are genetic. Some are spontaneously occurring. Some lose their sight. Some break bones. Some get cancer. Some get leprosy. And even in our day, if you wouldn't mind me saying, I heard one report which said, for the gentleman, that every guy, if he ling lives long enough, will get prostate cancer. 100%. I suppose it's as King Solomon wrote around 900 B.C. in Ecclesiastes 12 when he says, the grasshopper drags himself along, then the dust will return to earth as it was. All of us grasshoppers will eventually drag ourselves, if you're not already, and return to dirt. Physically, we're all damaged in different ways. Physically, sin takes us all in the same way, namely death. Spiritually, moral, morally, however, it's no different. Our defilement is far worse than skin deep. Spiritually, morally, it goes all the way to our nature. We're all defiled in the same way, namely our sinful nature. We're, we're naturals at doing wrong because doing wrong is our nature. Sinning doesn't make us sinners. We sin because we're 
sinners. We are morally defiled by nature. And until you embrace that and admit that fact, you, you can't go to heaven. You're not re- ready to come to Christ to be saved. Defiled, impure, tainted, unclean. When you pick up a piece of bread and you see that bluish green fuzz, you say, oh, the bread is tainted. It's defiled, in other words. Physical sickness are a daily reminder to us of the greater problem, the spiritual defilement and uncleanliness that we have, the impurity. And leprosy, in fact, became, appropriately so, a symbol for the pollution of sin. Now, what's the explanation for the physical damage and spiritual damage we all have? Just a couple of verses. This is critical for building a biblical worldview, a correct worldview. If you do not have this in your worldview, your worldview is wrong. It came from the garden. It started there with the fall. God said to Adam, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and you've eaten from the tree. And the issue is not that he listened to the voice of his wife, but that he sinned. He believed her instead of God. And if he submitted to her instead of God. And you've eaten the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground. We see physical damage. And toil, you'll eat of it. Life will be hard. You'll get sick all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles that shall grow for you. You'll eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you will eat bread till you return to the ground. You will die, in other words, which there's millions of different things that will cause your death. That was not part of the original design for your dirt and to dirt you shall return. And then in Romans 5, it's furthered the explanation. Just as through one man, sin entered the world. Do you see that? And death. That's how it all came through the one man. That's the explanation for this. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. That's why you get sick and you die because of what happened in the Garden of Eden because of sin in the world. So then, verse 18, as through one transgression, notice there resulted condemnation to all. We're all condemned by birth, by nature. And then even so, the good news, for one act of righteousness, meaning Christ, there resulted justification of life to all. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Even so, through obedience of the one, the many will be made sinners. Righteous. So the explanation for all that is wrong in the world is very simple. It all came from a moral violation against God. That is why there is famine, disease, sickness, sin. We're physically and spiritually messed up. You get rid of sin. And physical and spiritual reversal will happen. This is why Christ died on the cross. the fullness of which you will experience in heaven if you put faith in Him. So the miracles are a glimpse of, of, of what Christ is doing, what He is reversing by His power, by His death on the cross through the new birth, number one. Number two, in light of sin's defilement then, and because of who Christ is, faith in Him only makes sense. In light of sin's defilement that you all have, Faith in Him only makes sense. Look at verse 2. And a leper came to Him and bowed down before Him and said, Lord, if You're willing, You can make me clean. Likely, Likely this leper was sitting there in his misery listening to the Sermon on the Mount. He was part of the crowd that came down from the mountain 
and he's responding. He's doing the only rational thing. When you read the Word of God and you hear the Word of God preached, you come to Christ. You come all the way to Christ and you bow the knee to Him. This is the only logical thing that makes sense when you hear the Word of God. How can he not bow at the feet of Christ after hearing that sermon? He puts faith in Christ. What does faith look like, by the way? This, this, this leper's response answers the question, what does it look like when an individual becomes a Christian? What this leper does, it, it, it answers how we might wonder, what does sincere saving faith look like? How do I know when an individual sincerely becomes a Christian? What will happen? Seven things here we can learn from the leper under this point number two. Number one, seven marks of saving faith. Number one, Christ is priority over social acceptance. Number one, Christ is priority over peer pressure, you might say, or social acceptance. That's the first mark of of genuine saving faith. Notice the leper came to him. As we read from the Old Testament, I mean, this is a huge social faux pas. Uh, they, they had to be cast out. Man, you're, you're in the colony outside. You don't come near people. Especially you don't approach someone like a rabbi as Jesus is beginning to be known as. You don't go near him. But the leper heard about Christ. He, he heard the Sermon on the Mount, perhaps. He saw something like no one he had ever seen before. This Jesus. He had to go to him. This Jesus is in a class of his own. His compassion. His authority. His deity. His love. His power. His healing. His holiness. The leper casts off the restraints of peer pressure and social acceptance and said, I got to go to Christ. I need Christ. I don't care what anyone says. I'm going to Christ. Saving faith prioritizes him over social acceptance. The leper is a throwaway. Like you and I are spiritually apart from Christ. He goes to Christ because he has saving faith. Second, saving faith centers on the biblical Jesus. Saving faith centers on the biblical Jesus. Notice, he came to him. He has a single-minded focus on Christ. It wasn't about being pressured by friends to sign a card or walk an aisle at a crusade. The wife didn't have to make him to go to church. It's like, ah, well, you know, I need to keep mama happy at home, so... You know, I'll read my Bible. No, none of that goofiness. None of that kind of shameful behavior. He centers himself on Christ. Christ is his motivation. It was all about Christ, clinging to Christ. Third, saving faith. Humble worship of Christ. Number three, humble worship of Christ. This is what happens when someone becomes a Christian without exception. Humble worship of Christ. Notice what the text says. A leper came to him and bowed down before him. Bowed down. This is humble worship. He knows Christ isn't just a a great prophet of significance. 
No, this guy, this Christ has come down from heaven. And so the leper hits the deck. And no one had to say, okay, make sure, like, like do the right religious thing and, and, and bow this way, kind of knees down. No, he just, he knows it's Christ. He hits the deck. Because true saving faith, the kind of a Christian, knows that our place is bowed at the feet of Jesus. That is how we ascend to the glorious place of Christian. On our face before the Lord Jesus Christ. An attitude of humble worship. Fourth, saving faith. Number four, a respect of Christ's sovereign lordship. A respect for Christ's sovereign lordship. This is what, a, this is what you see in a Christian. Notice, he says to him, Lord. He said to him, Lord. It's a term which recognizes lordship, which recognizes exclusive authority, that he is sovereign. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. I will worship him, not for any sort of social motivation or because so-and-so said this or that, but because Christ is Lord. The word Lord, it referred to someone in ancient times of highest authority and someone who owned people, who had subjects. Saving faith sees itself as privileged to have Christ as Lord. That Christ owns me. There's no, there's no other place I would rather be than to be owned by Jesus. His subject. Fifth, saving faith. Submission to His Lordship also. Not just a respect, but a submission to His Lordship. A submission to His Lordship. Notice in the text, notice this extraordinary thing that the leper says. He says, Lord, if... Notice, if you are willing, if you are willing, you can make me clean. In other words, the leper says, Lord, like, only if you want to do this. Only if you want to do this. It reminds us of the way that Christ instructed us to pray in Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. Your will be done. Like, God, only what you want. Only what you want. If that means I'm going to be a leper in isolation all my life, man, you're God, I'm not. Only if you want. Grant Osborne says this, I'll put it up here. He says, true faith does not demand that Jesus fulfill the request, but rather surrenders to the knowledge that Jesus can do so if he wishes. None of this name it and claim it. I demand in the name of Jesus. Foolish talk. No, it, true faith it has a submission to His Lordship. We don't worship Him conditioned upon if He's going to make us happy, healthy, and wealthy. But we worship Him because of the very fact that He is Lord. He is Lord. Paris Reed had said once, he said, even if at the end of our life, we would die and go to hell forever. We should and must still worship Jesus every moment of our life. Because of the very fact that He is Lord. Saving faith has a posture of submission to Christ. Six, saving faith. Saving faith. 
belief in Christ's authority, a, a, a belief in it, in his authority. Notice it says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. You, notice that phrase, you can make me clean. The Greek there could be translated, you, he just says, you are able to cleanse me. It's a fascinating statement. He's just telling Christ what he's able to do. Lord, if you want to heal me, you have the ability, is what it says. What, what an amazing statement. What a Christian belief. What saving faith. You could purify me. I know you're able. He had a sincere belief in the ability of Christ. He didn't demand Christ use his ability, but coming to him demonstrates that he believed it. Seventh saving faith. Admission of one's defilement. Uh, an admission of, of one's defilement. That I am totally unclean. Physically and spiritually, but especially spiritually. Because not all of us have leprosy. Now, where, where do we get this from the text? The leper says, you are able to, notice, make me clean. He knows he is unclean physically from the leprosy. However, the leper's entire demeanor really demonstrates he knew his need for a greater cleansing. A spiritual moral cleansing. Forgiveness of sin, in other words. To become a Christian is to be cleansed from our moral defilement. To be forgiven of our sin. That's really fundamentally what it is. The leper knows he can do nothing about his defilement spiritually and physically, but Christ could, hence he's there at his feet. True Christian faith knows we're defiled. That really spiritually, morally, we're throwaways in the face of God. And that Christ loves throwaways. And Christ can clean us. What about you? What about you? Have you admitted your defilement before God? And have you come to Him in simple faith like a leper, bowed faith to be saved? No one waltzes, sort of prances on their high horse before God. It's not how you get saved. It's not how you become a Christian. It's not how you go to heaven. We come bowed, my friend. We come unclean, bowed. And the King of Kings eagerly and lovingly and compassionately cleanses us. Doesn't he? So good to have Christ as King and God. By God's grace, may you confess to him your defilement if you haven't already, and be saved. In light of sin's defilement, because who Christ is, faith in Him only makes sense. Number three, Christ compassionately, what good news this is, Christ compassionately welcomes the defiled, like me and like you. Oh, He compassionately welcomes the defiled. This is, look at verse three. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. He touched him. Everything about Christ's response is amazing. With the Old Testament leprosy passages in mind, I mean, put yourself in the sandals of a bystander just watching this. First of all, you're, you're, you're 100 yards away because there's a leper in the area. 
and you're watching, you know, from a distance. Shocking. You're thinking, how come Christ isn't running away from him? How, how come Christ isn't bolting and pointing and saying, man, this guy's unclean. Get him out of here. How come he's not saying that? Instead, Christ touches him because he compassionately welcomes the defiled. Now, wait a second. Is Jesus disobeying the Bible here by touching him? No, there are no commands that forbid touching someone who's defiled. Rather, there are passages that tell you how to deal with yourself after you've touched the defiled because you have become defiled yourself. Descriptions upon descriptions, cleansing, water, washing, sacrifices. Christ touches him. And I mean, there is such great fear with leprosy. It'd be like maybe like a bowl an hour or something. In these cases, really, the self-protecting, the self-serving fear was far greater than the self-sacrificing, self-abandoning love. Love's line was really drawn at leprosy in ancient times. I'll love that far, but no farther. Christ touches those considered the most unclean of the unclean, the outcasts. He touches the throwaways. And yet in doing so, number four, amazingly, number four, when Christ touches the unclean, this is critical to understand about the person of Christ. When he touches the unclean, they are cleansed, yet he remains clean. Spiritually and physically. This is perhaps one of the most important things about Jesus, which is inherent to his deity. That when he touches the unclean, they're cleansed. He's not defiled. You can't go to heaven if that isn't true. Notice verse 3. He touches him, touches him, saying, I am willing. I am willing. Be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Of course, this demonstrates Christ's authority over sin's damage. Notice, immediate. But he doesn't become ceremonially unclean. He doesn't have to go through all the rituals and all the sacrifices and washings and animal sacrifices and cleansing to be purified here as every other Old Testament believer would have to do if they came in contact with a leper or someone else who's unclean. Because when when Christ comes to the defiled, the defiled become undefiled, yet Christ takes their defilement upon himself and unlike the guy in the green mile, he incurs no defilement. And so it will be when he dies on the cross for sin, the most important thing that he will do on the cross. He takes a far greater defilement than a skin disease. He takes moral defilement. He takes our sin. He takes our spiritual uncleanliness for all who would put faith in him. And when he does, I mean, What is happening there? All the sin that is being put on Christ, everyone that would ever believe in him. You would expect Christ to like disintegrate, to blow up, to sink into the depths of hell and never come out and never resurrect and stay dead forever because of the sheer wickedness that is piled on him. Every single sin of every believer placed on him. 
the weight of impurity there is astronomical. If anyone else were to go to the cross and die, I mean, they'd just blow up. They'd go to the depths. They'd have a special place in hell, a hell of hells, because of how filthy they were before God, how sinful they were. And they would stay dead in there forever. But this is no ordinary human being who goes to the cross, is it? This is, this is God. This is the God-man. This is Christ in whom there is no defilement, who never sinned. He was tempted in all ways like us, yet behold, without sin. Totally pure. Not one sin. Morally clean. Perfect. Therefore, he could handle our sin. Yes, it crushed him. Isaiah 53 says it crushed him. He bled. He suffered for your sin. He was in agony for your sin. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The world went dark for a moment. He bore our sins in his body on the cross and he died. I mean, that very fact that the God man died is mind blowing. That shows how how much defilement from us was put on him. How much sin was put on him. The sinfulness of sin that was put on him. The magnitude of our defilement. He carried it all and his death confirms it. It's going to take a lot for the God-man to die. It took the weight of our sin. Yet he rose. As we so eagerly anticipate celebrate here in a few weeks he rose which shows us when Christ touches the unclean when Christ heals the unclean they are cleansed he doesn't become unclean though extraordinary the heart of the Christian faith the way that anybody will go to heaven and can go to heaven without which no one can He remains undefiled. He rises from the grave. And He's seated right now at the right hand of the throne of the Father. Exalted. Sovereign Lord. Undefiled. Pure. Without blemish. Though He carried our sins. When Christ touches the unclean, they're cleansed. Yet He remains clean. Number four. Number five. Christ desires then, sincere followers. This is obviously the only thing we would want to do with someone like that. To sincerely follow Him. Sort of an odd command. Look at verse 4. See to it. I mean, the guy is cleansed. Just instantly. When Christ heals in the Bible, there are no follow-up appointments. It is immediate. And then he says, verse 4, See that you tell no one. Don't tell anyone about this. In Mark's account, he records the same thing. It says the leper just went and told everybody. I suppose there's grace for that act of disobedience. But why would he say this? Don't tell anybody. The point seems to be that Christ, this is critical, Christ wants to be sure 
that we will follow him for more reasons than free bread and some medical services. As good as those things are. That we will follow Christ for a motivation higher than he's our kind of cosmic vending machine. Big government dispenser or whatever you might want to say. Because many would only follow him when the bread and the miracles kept going. Do another one, Jesus. Another one. Another one. Another crusade. Another crusade. Keep me going. Keep my unregenerate fickleness going, Lord. Come on, another magic trick like a dog. Christ wants to make sure we're going to be sincere. And we're going to follow him because he's Lord. Because when Christ began teaching and calling humanity to repent of sin, embrace self-denial, surrender to his sovereign lordship, abandon whatever is in our way, abandon whatever is in our way, keeps us from following him. When he starts saying these things, I mean, the crowd thins quicker than the music stopping and lights going out at a concert. It's just people bolt like cockroaches. But Christ isn't interested in people who worship an experience, who worship a feeling, who worship miracles. He's interested in people who worship Him. Because He loves them. D.A. Carson said this, These commands here show that Jesus is not presenting Himself as a mere wonder worker who can be pressured into Messiahship by crowds whose messianic views are materialistic and political. In other words, Christ wants people to follow Him for more motivation than politics and stuff that he can give me. Sixth. (coughs) Excuse me. Sixth and last. Christ calls his followers then to a commitment to Scripture, to the Bible, to the Word of God. He says, see to it that you tell no one. Verse 4. But go, show yourself to the priest and present the offering that Moses commanded as, as a testimony to him. In other words, obey what Moses said. Obey the word of God. Which part? Leviticus 14. We'll put it up here. <clears throat> Do we have that? Maybe we don't have that. No, go back. Turn to Leviticus 14. Let's read this together really quick. A very important part. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, the third book. Way at the beginning of your Bible there. Leviticus 14, and keep your finger in Matthew. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus 14. Between Numbers and Exodus. So this is, there is a cleansing, a, a gift that would be offered. Leviticus 14, follow along as I read, verse 1. Then the Lord said to, spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper in his day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out to the outside of the camp. Still outside. The priest shall look, and if the infection of leprosy has been healed in the leper, then the priest shall give orders to take. So here's the gift Christ is talking about. He would have to offer. Take two live clean birds and cedar wood and a scarlet string and hyssop for the one who is to be cleansed. The priest shall also give orders to slay the one bird in an earthenware vessel over running water. So kill the one. As for the live bird, he shall take it together with the cedar wood and the scarlet string and the hyssop and shall dip them and the live bird in the blood of the bird that was slain over the running 
water. He shall then sprinkle seven times and one is to be cleansed from the leprosy and shall pronounce him clean and shall let the live bird go free over the open field. The one to be cleansed shall then wash his clothes and shave off all his hair and bathe in water and be clean. Now afterward he may enter the camp, but he shall stay outside the tent for seven days. So Christ commanded then, back in Matthew 8, Christ commanded the man who is now cleansed. Was he ever fully cleansed? Skin like a baby. Now to go obey Scripture. Go do this. Do what the Bible says. Follow these commands. He is calling his new disciple to still put himself under the Word of God. Christ was a man submitted to Scripture. And he calls his disciples to be likewise. Now he says this phrase, <clears throat> end of verse 4, offering the Moses commandment as a testimony to them. Probably this is saying, in other words, as a testimony that the Messiah has come. As a witness, as a demonstration, a proof that I am the Messiah who fulfills Scripture. That Christ is the Messiah, the one promised the one about whom it was foretold, he would come and bring healing from things like leprosy and diseases and blindness and forgive sin. That testimony is here. Well, a couple of so what's for us. A couple of four so what's about this. A couple of takeaways for us. Number one, imitate Christ's compassion. Imitate his compassion here. Ephesians 5.1 says we're to be imitators of God. Paul says imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. As a fellow sinner, as a fellow human being damaged, reach out to those, friend, who need it. There are those who need it, even within our own local church. Do you know who they are? Are you embracing the one another's? And trying to live outside of your own kingdom and your own self to sort of find out who needs compassion right now. You won't heal people like Christ did, but you can show them something of Christ. Number one. Number two, bring Christ. Bring Christ to those who need him. Bring Christ to those who need him. The leper understood his need. Not everyone is at the noble point of the leper where they admit their need. Everyone has a need, nevertheless. You understand that, those of you in Christ. The leper knew his solution was Christ. Christ is the one we bring to those who have need. Whether it's physical or spiritual or both, we bring Christ. Who, who in your life right now needs Christ? Let's, let's write down, write down a name or two. That's not our, that wasn't metaphorical. Actually, write down a name or two. Think of somebody, or just think of a name. Just think of a, a one or two people. Maybe someone in your family. Someone you see around town. Man, so-and-so, they're suffering. Spiritually, physically, both. Think of that person. They need Christ. That, that's a human being, friend, who needs 
Christ. Bring Christ to people. Live outside yourself. Bring Christ to them, friend. Show them Christ. Pray that God will, if you struggle like I do with that sometimes, to speak Christ to people, pray that God will give you the boldness. Pray that God will open up opportunities. Man, Lord, would you give me an opportunity with so-and-so to bring Christ. There is no hope without Him, friend. No hope. Third, take your remaining spiritual leprosy to Christ. Take your remaining spiritual leprosy to Christ. Believers are not completely purged of sin yet. That sin or that spiritual leprosy still remains. Battle your sin. Take it to Christ. Study Scripture on your own as a regular habit. Read the Bible. Pray to God. If you're not doing that at all in your life right now, take like ten minutes maybe, three times a week. Set the timer if you've had to do that like I've had to do. It's hard. And we're weak. Study the Bible. Work on the remaining defilement you have, friend. Sit under the preaching of the Word of God. Get in deeper relationship for the purpose of growing. Fourth, be cleansed from defilement. Number four, be cleansed from defilement. This is for those of you who have yet to to surrender your life to Christ and follow Him like the leper. The leper's cleansing teaches us a critical lesson. It's a physical picture of the far greater need, right? Not all of us have physical leprosy, but all of us are born in sin. We have the stain upon us. We cannot cleanse ourselves from our sin. We cannot save ourselves from the wrath that is coming if we do not turn to Christ and accept His love for forgiveness. You must go to the perfect one who is clean, who can deal with your uncleanliness, your sin. You must go to Him. Christ, He touches the throwaways. If you've been morally imperfect in your life, like me, and you certainly have, then the Bible has a term for you, like it has for me. Sinner. And our sin, in a sense, makes us like all like spiritual lepers. Unclean, unclean. Makes us all spiritual throwaways. We don't have really anything worthy to offer God. Because of our sin, we've only violated God. We've only rebelled against Him. We've only created a huge need. It's very important that when we, when, if we're going to go to heaven, we start by seeing that. And if that's a battle for you, consider the alternative, that, namely that, well, I have benefit to offer God in and of ourselves. That, of course, is unthinkable. Acts 17 says it this way briefly. The God who made the world and all things in it, since He's Lord, He doesn't dwell in temples. Verse 25, nor is He served by human hands as though He needed anything. He doesn't need anything. But the good news is that Christ saves spiritual, moral throwaways like me and you. Just as He said in Luke 5.31, He said this. Jesus said to them, it's not those who are well, who need a physician. Spiritually speaking, but those who are sick, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. 
Jesus only takes the defiled. Sinners. Have you ever sinned in your life? Then you are defiled, my friend. And Christ is eager to save you and cleanse you. Put faith in Christ like the leper. Come to Him. Some of you, your Christianity, it's this weird, it's this kind of thing you go through on Sunday or when you know you get really guilty or whatever and you think about it, oh yeah, man, I should turn to God and kind of do this thing. And God sees that you're just playing games. That you don't really, you don't really love Him. It's this sort of guilt and back and forth, this low-grade guilt. And man, you've got to see yourself as far worse than you're seeing yourself now. As a spiritual throwaway, as defiled. But then come to Jesus. Bow to Him like the leper. See Himself. That His death on the cross, that it will cleanse you, as the Scriptures say so many, very briefly. Hebrews 9, the blood of Christ who offered Himself without blemish shall cleanse your conscience from dead works, from your attempt to do good without Him. Hebrews 9.22, all things are cleansed with blood. but the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. 1 John 1.7, the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. Meaning His death, His blood, His death on the cross for you. 1 John 1, nine. if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and cleanse us. Cleanse the defiled. Some of you, you're not saved. You're still defiled. Come and be cleansed. Come to the Savior. Go to Christ. Go to Christ. Stop. Stop playing games. Stop saying, oh, well, you know, when I get a little older, you'll die and go to hell before that, my friend. The easiest day to be saved is this day today. And so pray with David, Psalm 51. Pray this with David. Be gracious to me, God. Notice David doesn't say, oh, I'm pretty morally awesome. I mean, King, according to your loving kindness, he appeals to his love. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgression. Wash me. He sees, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, God. For I know my transgression. My sin is ever before me. Create in me, God. Create in me. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Father, we thank You for Your compassion on us. That You would send the Savior to cleanse us. And one day in heaven, to be rid of all death, physical suffering, and all sin forever. Would any in here tonight who have yet to be cleansed, Holy Spirit, would You give them the new birth? And when they come and receive the love of Jesus. In Your name we pray. Amen.